This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good Thursday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Lisa Graham coming to you from the Wisconsin State Fairgrounds in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And you're listening to a special Draft Horse episode of Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network, presented by the Draft Horse Journal for August 4th. Our episode number is 1487. This episode is brought to you by the Clydesdale Breeders of the United States. Good morning, Horse World. Good morning. As I promised, we are going to have a class that is second to none. We are going to be bringing in the Clydesdales, the Belgians, and the Perturans in the arena. Well, that is what we're talking about today, and I'm so excited. You know, since I started the Horse Radio Network nine years ago now, I've wanted to do a draft horse show, and I am so excited to have Lisa here with me. Hi, Lisa. Good greetings from Wisconsin. You're at a fair, which is why we could not get you enough internet to be connected the way we normally do, so you sound like an official co-host. So you're on your phone. I'm on my phone at opening day of Wisconsin State Fair, downtown Milwaukee. And uh, is this a show you've done for many, many years? Oh, I'm thinking this is about 25 years for me coming to Milwaukee. Wow. And Lisa, in case anybody doesn't know, is one of the premier announcers in the draft horse world. How many shows did you say you do a year? Well, I'm on the road about 125 days, so about about a third of the year I'm living in a barn or living in the center arena of a horse show. Wow. And, you know, I have heard you announce, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on. But let me first... And I have seen you drive horses. I know. Uh (laughs) And I'm not sure that was a good thing. So we we are... uh, This is a special episode where... And, you know, we're so excited about this. We're working with the Draft Horse Journal. The good folks over there, Alin will be on here in a little bit to talk about that. But the Draft Horse Journal is sponsoring today's episode and is uh, presenting today's episode. We have lots of terrific sponsors... We're really rolling out the the Draft Horse episode with a bang. It's going to be the first Thursday of every month here on Horses in the Morning. And we'll go over a little bit more about how to listen to all the shows and what the best ways are and everything for new people to the show today. And we welcome all our new Draft Horse friends. If you're coming to the Horse Radio Network for the first time, welcome. You're a little late to the party, though. We're nine years in running. And in tomorrow, tomorrow morning's Horses in the Morning, Lisa, we'll make our 49th hundredth episode here on Horse, on the Horse Radio Network. That's amazing. And and what a difference you've made. You've kind of worldwide brought everybody together. And I know a lot of us in our industry have listened to you at driving shows and, and listened to some of your guests. And it's just an honor to have our industry, the draft horses, now represented. Well, I'm a pony and percheron guy. I have always been a pony and percheron guy. So I got both both ends of the spectrum. And I'm now I've talked a lot about ponies, and now I get to talk about draft horses again. And, you know, we have an excellent producer on this show, and that's my lovely wife, Jennifer, who's going to tell us what's coming up. 
Coming up on Draft Horse Journal Day, brought to you by the Clydesdale Breeders of the United States, Lynn Talene from the Draft Horse Journal is going to do a little meet and greet with us. And then the Clydesdale Breeders Association Secretary, Kathy Bean. Is that Ben? Bain. 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 I was wrong on both counts. Well, she's going to tell (laughs) us about what's coming up for Clydesdale enthusiasts all over North America. And Paul Sparrow is going to stop by, and he's going to tell us about the famous, historic 40-horse hitch. And that's a lot of range, folks, so stay tuned for the fray. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Well, let's find out about my co-host first. Uh, Lisa, tell us a little bit about your family background. Were you guys always draft people? Well, I was raised in central Illinois, kind of close to the home of the Amish settlement in Arthur Arcola area, but I was raised in Watsika, Illinois. And, you know, they say you don't stray far from home. I moved away after college, and they came right back to the family farm. I was raised with Pertern horses, so there you go. You and I have something more in common. But my family wasn't into the showing of the horses. We kind of had a little acreage that we worked the horses. We had up to a six-horse hitch that we would plow and cultivate and plant, and we did a lot. It was a hobby farm, and I was the third generation, my grandfather, my dad, and I'm an only child, so they got a girl, and so the girl had to learn to sit on the the box seat of the farm wagons, and, and, and so it was a good life growing up working with the horses. Did you uh, and, and did you ride, too? Did you ride them? Not if I didn't have to. No, it was too far to fall. <laughs> Way too far to fall. No. Um, but I was trying to think, you know, you and I have been talking, getting ready to get into these interviews, and I'm thinking, how did this all start for me? And, and it kind of started as a funny thing, because in 1985, and we'll go back in time here, in 1985, because of my involvement um, at the county fairs showing the farm horses, I was chosen as the Illinois Draft Horse Queen. So that gave me a crown, which, you know, people like crowns, you get to travel around to different fairs. And so I got to see and observe a whole different world to me. I was used to no fancy harness, no fancy shoeing jobs on the horses. We were We were farm people. And then when I got to go to these shows and see you know, a six-horse hitch coming at you with patent leather and, and scotch-bottom shoes and hearing the sounds of the horses, that was very intriguing. So I learned, I listened, and in 1991, we had, a, we had an announcer at our county fair who was, even to this day, one of the best. He was a light horse man that came to the draft horse world. His name was Don. He was excellent. He passed away in 91, and our local county fair hired somebody to come and replace him for that season and the man did not do a very good job and I was kind of boisterous and I went right up to our superintendent who was a neighbor and a friend and said that that guy did a bad job he, he just didn't it wasn't his fault that he didn't know a lot of the stuff about our industry but I don't think he did us any justice and the superintendent said, well, if you think you can do better, you're hired. <laughs> famous words, right? And if you can do better, you do words. it. <laughs> so that was in 1991. And so I stepped up the next day and, and started announcing. And there happened to be somebody from another county fair there and heard me and said, hey, we're having a show in a couple of weeks. Do you want to come down there? And I said, sure. So I went down there and I did that show. And how some things come full circle. We're going to talk to Lynn Celine today. But his father was the founder of the Draft Horse Journal. That was Maury Colleen. And Maury happened to be in the crowd at this county fair that I did. 
And after the show had come up, he said, you're very good at this. He said, where else are you going to be announcing? And I said, this is my it. Two, two shows. I'm done. And he said, and, and he was famous for his just very blunt. He said, young lady, I'm going to take you places. And within a few weeks, I was getting other calls. And it just snowballed from there. And that fall, I did my first international show. And like I said, comes full circle. Maury was just a great friend and a mentor. And anytime somebody called the Draft Horse Journal and said, hey, we're looking for an announcer. Do you know anybody? He sent them my way. So in, in a career that started in 1991 at a county fair has now evolved into I, I just can't even tell you how blessed I am to the shows I do and to be on the road over 120 days and to raise my son in this industry. I really am the luckiest girl out there. Well, you know, I met Lynn a couple of years ago at the World Pertron Congress, which is where I met you. And mm-hmm. we were at the World Pertron Congress for the Driving Radio Show, another show we do here in the Horse Radio Network with my co-host, uh, Dr. Wendy Ying. And we had a blast up there, and we got to do the celebrity driving, and, and we got to whoop Dr. Pohl in the celebrity yeah. driving. <laughs> and even I beat Dr. Pohl, so I was happy about that. <laughs> uh, so, But, you know, it was a lot of fun, and we had a good time up there. And I met Lynn, and I said, we need to do a Draft Horse episode. Well, it's been a couple of years in the making. But we're here, and when I asked him, I was talking to him about two months ago, and I said, "Who? I need a co-host. Who's who would co-host? Because I co-host all the horses in the morning shows for consistency, even the special ones we do, like the draft mm-hmm. horse episode." And he said, "I know exactly who we're going to get, Lin- or, or we're going to get Lisa, and that's it, and she's just going to do it." And I said, "Well, you want to <laughs> ask her first? No, he said, "No, she's just going to do it." So <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, know that you had a choice. <laughs> No, he's 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 not only a friend. He's like he's a pusher. He's like, yeah, if I think it's the right thing, we're going to do it. Lynn and I, we had we we go back a long way, but when we had the Pertrin Congress in Des Moines, Iowa, it, it was prior to the Massachusetts Congress. Lynn and I had done some work for the Iowa Public Television, and we did an overview after the Congress was done. We took hours and hours, seven days of footage. And condensed it down to a one-hour episode, and it was always a joke between he and I because we got the call. We were nominated for daytime Emmy for our coverage because it was like a it was a non-normal cast on public television, hmm. and we were nominated. So that was our joke that we were going to go walk the red carpet, but we were both busy at horse shows, so we didn't win an Emmy and we didn't walk the red carpet. But we can still say we had a chance. <laughs> now, do you still have horses? I do. Um, I have my son Austin just turned sixteen, and if there was ever anybody that's horse crazy, Austin. If you look his name up in the dictionary; it says horse crazy. <laughs> and we have Pertrans, and we're really kind of excited. We're in the last couple of years we've been foaling, so that's that's a big adventure, you know, getting these babies. And it's just crazy that once you get one, you have to have more. So I think we're up to about six at home. Um, we had Clydesdales. We just sold a couple Clydesdales. So we're very active at home in the industry and he gets to go on the road with me. I think that's the benefit of my jobs that I get to do when Austin, he was born in March of 2000 In April of 2000, we did our first Clydesdale sale. So he was less than a month old during the event. And 16 years later, he still packs his suitcase and he, he's lucky that he has a school, very small school that's very supportive of his career. So 
he's he's making his name out in the industry as well. And he's here at Wisconsin with me. He's showing Clydesdales this week, and he'll be showing um, Bertrands, Belgians, and, and Shires next week. Now, this is one of the, the show you're at right now, which is the Wisconsin State Fair. Is that, as I understand, it's one of the largest Clydesdale shows, right? It is. We always laugh that, you know, Wisconsin's kind of the home of the cow, but there's three or four days here. We're the home of the Clydesdales because in years past, the State Fair has been recognized as our national show. Um, the last few years, the national title has moved to the Indiana State Fair. It's kind of a opportunity for even though they're not far apart in distance, it is easier for some people to get to Indianapolis. So it's a, just a diverse changing of where we call the national. This year, again, it's going to be at Indiana State Fair. Wisconsin is now called the American Clydesdale Show. And it is one of the bigger ones that you will see because it is dedicated today through Saturday. It's all Clydesdales. If you come to the Wisconsin State Fair, you go down to the arena, you're going to see today we're doing halter classes. Tonight, we start right away with the six horse hitches. And Wisconsin, of all the shows I do, I would say Wisconsin is the most receptive crowd. There will be people that come back 20, 30, 40 years just to watch the Clydesdales here because, you know, they get a close up. The, the arena is very nice. It's close parking. They don't have to go through the entire fair. They can pull in, park, come through the barn, see the horses up close then go down to the arena and see everything from a single cart up to the six horse hitches. So you'll do up to six at this show? Yeah, tonight. We're showing Halter right now. Um, I'm giving a shout out to uh, Christy and Kelly. They're taking over my announcing this morning while I'm doing my, my talk with you. But they're showing Halter right now. We'll show that till probably one o'clock today. And then this evening, the first class into the arena is going to be the six horse hitches. So we're starting with a bang tonight. Very good. Well, that sounds like fun. I have to ask you, I was thinking about this this morning, how many times have you announced the Budweiser Clydesdales coming into the ring? A lot. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) A lot. And it's kind of funny that normally when Budweiser goes to an event and they're going to perform, they have a standard script that they'll hand the announcer. And almost anywhere I go and, and they pull in and they see that I'm there, they'll go, she doesn't need the script because <laughs> a lot of times when you read that script, if you just read it, you don't stay in timing with them. Right. So you might and there's be music saying, that's going oh, along with their music's going along with it too. Yeah. yeah. And people love that music, but you know, if you're just reading the script and not knowing what they're doing, you're saying they're doing backing when they're actually doing a figure eight. So it's kind of funny and it's a personal, when you're in this industry and you're on the road, 120, 125 days, you get to know everybody. And so they don't have to tell me who's on the wagon. You know, I can see that that, that that's Manny from St. Louis or that Todd from over here. So you, you kind of know everybody. And I say anytime you can make it personal, the audience loves it even more. Well, we're going to continue on with a lot more uh, draft talk today. We have to hear about another fair first, and then we're going to come back with the man that's making this all possible. Lynn from the Draft Horse Journal is going to talk to, uh, join us here in just a second. But first, we're going to hear about another fair. 
The 2016 Oklahoma State Fair is proud for the third consecutive year to be the host site for the North American Six Horse Hitch Classic Series Finals. Twelve of the top six horse hitches competing throughout North America will be invited to attend this prestigious competition, culminating in the coronation of the 2015-2016 champions. In addition to this earth-shaking competition, the Oklahoma State Fair will host the Classic Cart Series Finals. These classes drive off at the fair from September 16th through the 19th inclusive. In addition to these crowd favorite classes, the Oklahoma State Fair is pleased to offer an expanded slate of classes for gypsy and drum horses, draft horses, and youth exhibitors. If you are a horse lover, then make a trip to the Oklahoma State Fair for a vast array of equine disciplines throughout the run of the fair, September 15th through the 25th, 2016. If you are a competitor, State Fair Park is an ideal state-of-the-art facility for horses, their owners, handlers, grooms, and guests. Horse show entries should be processed online by August 15th for most classes. The link for entry process and additional information can be found at okstatefair.com or by calling 405-948-6735. Whether you're an exhibitor or a spectator, join us at the Oklahoma State Fair in Oklahoma City, September 15th through the 25th, 2016. Visit okstatefair.com for all the details. That's okstatefair.com. Well, next up, the man that's making this all possible today and been working with and met a couple of years ago at the World Percheron Congress is Lynn from the Draft Horse Journal. Hey, Lynn. Good morning, Glenn. Thank you so much. For and, good, and good morning to the 1985 Illinois Draft Horse Queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for, thanks for reminding us, Lynn. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you still have the crown, by the way? Do you still have the crown? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Those draft horse the queens, sash. they never get rid of the crown or the sash. Yeah. They have that forever. And the sash. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So were you ever the draft horse king, Lynn? Uh, there is no is such thing. King. I'm oh. sure I would have been. <laughs> he is the king. <laughs> you guys, I mean, the Draft Horse Journal it has been the premier magazine for the draft horse world for how long? 52 years this year. Whoa. And was yep. it your dad that started it? Correct. My mom and dad started it in 1964, and he did not have a journalism background. He was actually managing an um, agricultural exhibi- exhibition in Waterloo, Iowa, called the National Dairy Cattle Congress at the time. And like a lot of the state fairs and, and other large shows around the country, um, the Cattle Congress had discontinued the draft horse competitions, um, either during or after World War II. And he was successful in bringing the show back to Waterloo while he was there. And I think it inspired him um, to take it further. He realized there were still people who loved big horses. There were still big horses out there, and um, they needed a a common thread. And so he started the magazine on the side while he was still working at the Congress. And um, the first issue he mailed out to 3,000 people for free. Uh, he got lists from horse sales and shows that were still in existence and mailed it to him and got a start that way. Ten years later, um, his circulation had grown to about 10,000, so he quit his job and did this full-time. Oh, wow. And 
and uh, it's been going ever since. So you, um, when you were growing up, you you didn't know anything else but the, the but the magazine, pretty much. I did not. I came mm-hmm. home from school, and that's what was in the house. <laughs> um, the office it, was actually in our, always... our basement for several years. Yeah, I was going to say it was laid out in your on your kitchen table for a while, or and your your dad was involved in so many other associations and drafters. You must your house must have just been full of boxes of paperwork all the time. Yep, looks like my my office does now. Right? I bet you you helped stuff a lot of envelopes over the years. I did, I did. <laughs> I was a big help. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you did. So now, you did you always know that you were going to take over the journal? Was that something you always wanted to do, or no, no? Um, <laughs> like like Lisa, I'm I'm a third generation draft horse person too. Both sets of my grandparents had them. Um, now, Lisa uh, was Percherons, I was Percherons. What were you? Well, my dad's folks farmed with, with grades and crossbreds, and my my mother's parents had registered Belgians and actually showed a six-horse hitch for a lot of years. Um, and as a kid, we, we always had crossbreds, mostly. But in 1978, uh, don't ask me why, my dad wanted a registered perch and mare, and he bought one, and uh, that's been the soup du jour ever since, even for my wife and I. Now, let's talk, let's, uh, for the non-draft people out there, the draft horse world is a little bit like talking about Fords and Chevy trucks and Toyota Tundras, and uh, families tend to have their favorites. They're a Ford family or they're a Dodge family, and it kind of is a little bit that way in the draft horse world, isn't it? It definitely is, yep. Yeah. You like what your parents like in most cases. I always say, once you go Percheron, you never go back. But that just could be me. I don't, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then the you take that a step. Week, so, fur- hey. You take that a step further. Like I'm a black Percheron guy. I don't have to go so much for the grays. That's partly because I'm lazy and don't want to have to clean that big body. Um, so that's why I've always gone with black. But that even goes down to that, doesn't it, Lynn? Sure does. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. So now, do you have? Do you still have Percherons? I do. My wife and I maintain a small herd of registered horses. We try to raise um, anywhere from one to four foals every year. We like we like to show at the local shows, including the Iowa State Fair. Oh, cutest babies um, ever! Uh. Take a lot of pride in showing our own home raised horses. Cutest babies ever, Lynn. So, uh, now are you grays or blacks or both? Uh we we have both actually. Um, the market demands blacks, so you know you try to breed for blacks. Is that what it is? Part, is it still blacks? I didn't know it, what the popular thing was today. It'll come back around to gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and Lynn, Lynn has kind of an interesting. He has shipped horses overseas, and we still kind of see on the internet and through Facebook and through different publications. We see that the horse that you did send, the pay per view horse, where does where did that go? Uh, pay-per-view was, uh, he's a gray horse and that's a stud that we raised. He went, he went down to Bogota, Colombia, South America. Um, another horse that we did not raise, but we we owned and showed, we showed a yearling stud at the 2010 World Perching Congress and ended up selling him to a breeder in Australia, which is pretty cool. 
Now, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the industry, too. I'm going to get back to the magazine. We'll talk about how people can find it and order it, and, and I might copy right here on the desk in front of me. But let's talk a little bit about the draft horse industry. You know, down here in Florida, we're paying, you know, $25 a bale for good quality hay. So it's expensive to have draft horses in cer- certain parts of the country. And, of course, they do eat more. What is the state of the draft horse industry? Or is it still growing? You know, what did the recession do to it? Well, I, the recession hurt it like it like it hurt the entire horse industry. Um, but the last couple of years, um, there's been a correction in the numbers. People stopped breeding so many mares during the recession, and all of a sudden the demand is outstripping supply. And as a consequence, the prices are crazy right now and mm-hmm. going up. Um, so it's 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 a very good time for the draft horse industry. And it's not just the show horses right now that, that there's a demand for. It's good broke teams. I know, Lynn, you've probably seen it at the Waverly Horse Sale. If you had a, a team that you could say they are broke, anybody can get on and drive them, take them to a parade, take them um, to any kind of event, that rock-solid team is selling just as much as a fancy show team. That's right. And and that's that's something we haven't seen before. I mean, when you go to the public auctions, it's common for the top show horse, top hitch horse, or breeding horse to bring, you know, the top dollar. But as Lisa says, now it's just broke teams. They don't have to be fancy. They don't have to be big. Um, they just have to be broke and matched. Now, and great. Well, well, that brings up a good question. Do you have any idea? I'm sure you've done surveys of your subscribers at the Draft Horse Journal. Do you have any idea how many of your subscribers would be competitors and actually show people? And then, you know, how many are just backyard horse owners like like I am? The, the number of people that own draft horses and show them is a very small percentage. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Most Most people either work them or play with them or keep them for pleasure or whatever. Um, but it, it's funny because, I mean, the most visible ones, obviously, are the ones you see at the show. But it's a small percentage um, of our industry that, that are out there showing. What's the most popular? And I find oh, when, go ahead, Lisa. I find when I go to shows, um, you know, I was in Minnesota three days ago at a show, and I just had to pack my suitcase in my truck and get to Wisconsin. But some of the same people that showed a six-horse hitch three days ago in Minnesota are now here at Wisconsin. So like Glenn said, it is a small circle that these people will travel. And, and it just shows their dedication that, you know, they take their vacation times. All of our state fairs kind of go back to back to back. So it is the same families that you're seeing at a lot of these. But the people in the public or the people that have horses at home, they still love to come to the fairs and the shows. And even though they might not hook a six-horse hitch at home and they have a few horses, they love to come to an event and see it. Well, and I hope, uh, Lynn, as we go down the line here, too, with the draft tour, because, you know, it, and by the way, that mirrors the way it is in the general horse world. You know, 90% of the people have backyard horses, again, like, like my wife and I, who've stopped showing years ago, and, you know, have backyard horses. We trail ride, we have fun with our horses, and that's 90% of the horse population. And then the other 10% will compete in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and, and, and I hope as we go down the line, we're going to cover all of that, because, you know, there's a, there's a, 
per- Percheron that's doing great guns in the eventing world right now. You know, there's there's draft horses in not just driving in in shows, but doing all kinds of things across the country, from dressage to to eventing to Western disciplines. So we're going to touch on all of that a little bit as we go down the road. And where can people find your magazine? You can find us online at www.drafthorsegeneral.com. And uh, you can also give us a call at 319-352-4046. And we do attend a few shows and events throughout the year and and set up a booth. Um, The next one coming up would be the Waverly Midwest Horse Sale this fall. And now you you publish this quarterly. It's four times a year, right? Correct. And it's it's really inexpensive. Isn't it like thirty bucks or something? Thirty five dollars for a year, or sixty two for two years. Wow, that's, it's a hell of a deal. That's a hell of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you, Glenn, in our industry, we really we call it the Bible. And Lynn will have in the publication it tells when it's mailed out, the four times a year it's mailed out, and. I know at our house, it's a race from the mailbox because we all know if he mails it out on the 15th, it takes a couple days to get to us. So like at our house, between Austin and I, we go to the mailbox just to try to get the first look at it. And I will be honest, if I get it and he's at school, I will take pictures of it and send to him and just say, ha ha, I got it first. <laughs> because that's how it is. I mean, you never know what's going to be in it. You don't know who's on the cover. And it, it's just anticipation. The Draft Horse Journal literally is the Bible of our industry. It keeps you up to date on current stories. And it and the stories aren't always about the people that are in the spotlight. It introduces you to somebody from Kentucky that is using their horses in the tobacco field. Or it will introduce to you um, something like our Youth Novice Congress that happened. It will give you details on that. But it also, it, it's a piece of history because... Every time there's a major sale of draft horses, he details it. He takes pictures. He puts the price, who bought it, who sold it. So you can go back, and let me tell you, if you subscribe to the Draft Horse Journal, they never, ever, ever get thrown away or tossed because, like I said, it's a piece of history. You can go back, grab a journal from 20 years ago, and say, look what the prices were here. Now look where we're at, we're at where we're at now. It, it literally is the Bible of our industry. It, it, it tells you everything. Lynn always laughs at me because I say one of my favorite things to flip to first, it's called The Last Ride. It's the horse obituaries of our industry who passed away in the past, since the last issue. And even though Facebook gives us an opportunity to, to be a little closer to people, that you can go, you can send your condolences, you can see um, who's passed away, you can read about upcoming events. The Draft Horse Journal is just literally the Bible of our of the horse world, the Draft Horse world. Very good. DraftHorseJournal.com is where you can find it. Thank you, Lynn, and we look forward to working with you once a month, the first Thursday of every month for the Draft Horse episode. So do I. Thank you very much. All right. Take care, Lynn. Well, now we have to talk about the Clyde store. Not only are you an announcer traveling 120 days a year, not only do you still have your own <laughs> horses, not only do you have to feed them and take care of them and do all of that and have your son to take care of, but I don't, I don't even know anything about this. You have something called the Clyde store. I do. Going back a little history with me in the Clydesdales, I was raised Pertron, and I'm a diehard Pertron girl, but through the years, the Clydesdales, kind of became a spotlight in my life as well. 
and became really active in the Clydesdale Breeders, when we're going to talk to Kathy coming up. But I actually served three terms as a director on the Clydesdale Board of Directors. I was the president of the Education Foundation for a few years. And I, the Clydesdales just have a great part of my history as well. So in April of this year, I made my debut of the Clydesdale store and more. And it really is anything to do with Clydesdale horse from t-shirts to signs, jackets, you name it. If it can involve a Clydesdale, I have it in my Clydesdale store. Um, We travel to the major Clydesdale events. Our debut was in April at the National Clydesdale Sale in St. Louis. And the response from the draft horse world was was amazing. I took a big chance and I I probably had enough t-shirts I could have dressed half of St. Louis, <laughs> but it it was it was an incredible experience and so here we're set up here at Wisconsin State Fair. We'll be at Indiana next week at the National Clydesdale Show. Uh we'll be at Great Lakes International and it's called the Clydesdale Store and More. Right now we're dedicated to the Clydesdales, but hopefully other breeds are are going to fall into place with me and and we'll have something for everybody in the draft horse world. Is it online yet? We're not online yet, but you can follow us on Facebook and it's the Clydesdale store and more on Facebook. And I post pictures. I keep it updated. So you can order directly off there and we are in the process of getting a website. So that will be scary going worldwide. (laughs) <laughs> well, very good. Thank you so much for that. And, we're, you know, speaking of Clydesdales, this show is brought to you by the Clydesdale Breeders of the United States. And we have Kathy with us. Why don't you introduce Kathy? Well, we're going to welcome Kathy Bain. And Kathy is the executive director, the executive secretary for the Clydesdale Breeders. The Clydesdale Breeders is located in Pecatonica, Illinois. And When you talk about coming full circle in a family, Kathy and her family just radiate Clydesdales. Uh, She's a multi-generation. She actually is the secretary following some big foot to fill. She took the job over from her mom, Betty Groves, and it's been a family affair for many, many years. And Kathy's joining us as one of our first guests. So good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Lisa. Thank you for having (laughs) us. Well, it's nice to have you here, and and both of us are at the Wisconsin State Fair. So I tell you, yesterday when I got here, it was raining, it was stormy, and when you and I met yesterday, you were in the wash rack, and we kind of laughed that it is full circle. We're kind of the grunts in the barn doing a lot of that, but we can come together and uh, promote the Clydesdales, and your family's showing here, you're representing the association, so you're kind of a busy lady like I am. That's true, but we've had a glorious uh, horses in the morning already here at the Mid-American Clydesdale Show here in Milwaukee at the Wisconsin State Fair. I'm just watching as I do this interview, our breeders are taking their gentle giants to the ring for a halter competition this morning, and it's just been a great morning already. I know. It, mm-hmm. It's awesome here. And and one thing that's kind of funny and I guess not funny because I'm not having to do the work, but when a halter class for the Clydesdale starts at 8 o'clock, what time would you guess that the work in the barn starts? Well, our family rolled out of bed at 5 o'clock this morning. We did a lot of preliminary grooming yesterday. We rolled out at 5 o'clock this morning. Uh, Back out at the wash rack, the Clydesdale horse is a beautiful, beautiful horse to present. 
they have that feather on their legs and a lot of characteristics and, and the exhibitors are up early. They present these animals with great pride. Um, you know, the Clydesdale horse is an American icon, uh, but Bifer Clydesdales has paved the way for us to present them in a proud traditional uh, style. So it was early morning. You know, Kathy, yeah. the only thing everybody's thinking about at home, though, is how the heck do they keep all those feathers clean on their feet? <laughs> well, it is a lot of work. But, you know, the Clydesdale breed, along with the Shire, is one of the draft horse breeds that have this, we call it feather, on their leg. They have the hairy legs. Um, it, grooming of the feather and the feet is, an, is a 365-day you know, day job. At home, we keep them oiled so they stay supple and grow and don't get, you know, brittle and break off. Um, at the show, then we, we bathe and we shampoo each leg, just like you shampoo your hair. Dry them out. Um, let the excess water drip off. You either can put sawdust or cornstarch on to keep the dirt from going to all that wet hair. Uh. And then before the show, you know, we can wrap the legs so the hair lays nice and smooth. And then before you go in the show ring, you comb it out and they just come uh, into the ring with that fluff and feather that just makes it beautiful with their actions. So I was, it's a lot of work, but it's a payoff. I was mm-hmm. thinking with the show horses, you would have to keep after them every day because that would just get all gnarly and it would be a pain. <laughs> yeah, just, you do, you do. You have to keep ahead. <laughs> and how many bottles of baby powder that everybody goes to? This week with the Clydesdale here at Wisconsin, you would just be amazed at uh you know, the white baby powder just helps to accentuate the legs and, and keep them a little bit cleaner. And, and you walk down any aisle, and it looks like about one bottle of baby powder per horse is getting used. But as Kathy said, when they trot into that arena and the feather is flowing and their heads are up high, there's nothing more beautiful than a Clydesdale coming into the arena. So, Kathy, true, I kind of led into this about, you know, you had some big shoes to fill when you took over as executive director and the secretary, but coming full circle was talking to Lynn. And as I said, Lynn's dad, Maury, is who got me my start in the industry. He helped to promote my announcing and, and got me some jobs that I, I know I wouldn't have had without his support. But how it comes full circle with the association is that Lynn's dad, Maury, was actually the secretary of the Clydesdale Association. And then your mom, Betty Gross, took over for him. And then you took over for your mom. So it, it has been not only a friendship with the Tallines, but a family with your mom. So at this point, when you say you're here exhibiting at the fair, I looked out yesterday and I could see, I think, was there four generations to your family here showing yesterday? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, we do have four generations here. Um, our industry is very traditional and deep in generation. You can walk through the barns and see that. Maury Tallene was the secretary. My mother was the secretary for over 30 years. I've been the secretary for many years. We're strong in tradition. You can go through the barn and see many families who are generational deep in this. Um, and we like to, we're trying to find the perfect balance to to put all these generations and knowledge together to promote it, to bring even more people into our industry. 
Kathy is here. She is the secretary of the Clydesdale Breeders. I gotta, t- I gotta ask you though, how many foals are registered each year? How many, how many Clydesdale babies are there? Okay, our association registers between 350 and 400 new registrations each year. That's our mission statement. It's to protect and preserve the integrity of the breed through our registry work. So we're the only, we're the breed registry for all of the United States. So between 350 and 400 new foals or new Clyde seals are registered here. We also keep track of all the ownership records if a Clyde seal changes ownership. Um, we do about 500 transfers of Clydesdale horses throughout the year also. Is Clydesdale one of the smaller of the, I don't mean smaller size-wise, I mean smaller numbers-wise. Uh, is Clydesdale one of the smaller numbers of the draft breeds, the Percherons, the Belgians, and all of them? We are. We're about third in line. The Perchons and Belgians have many more. They register more than us, um, probably almost double than us, than the Clydesdales. And you go down to the Shires and some of the Fulfics and the smaller breeds. Um, we're smaller in numbers. I'm very, very proud to represent the Clydesdale breeders because we're a very progressive association. We do many, many different things to keep our numbers strong and to increase our numbers. So we're pretty, we're a little but mighty. You know what's so funny about that is is because of the Budweiser Clydesdales, it's the it's the only draft horse breed that most people know, right? Unless you're outside the horse world, I mean, it's the only one they they know about is that because of because of that hitch. Well, yeah, and to yes, almost every and I, like, I, mm-hmm. well, I was just going to say when you're you go to an event and whether it's a Belgian or a Pertrin, to the general public, the city folks, they're all Clydesdale because right. <laughs> they think they're all Budweiser horses, right. and so you, you know it doesn't matter if they have that feather or not. The general public says, "Oh, here comes the Clydesdale," but the Clydesdales have set a bar. You know, they've been around for so many years, and our, like Kathy said, our association might be little, but it's very mighty. Because Budweiser set a bar and and they are just beautiful. So when people see the Budweiser Clydesdales, at first their thought always is, I can't own one of those. Those must be expensive. But when they get to know our industry, buying a Clydesdale is just like buying a car. You can buy something that you just want for your family, or you can buy a sporty model that would enhance get you into the sale arena or the show arena. But it, it's a small circle. And with Budweiser's support, it has grown tenfold with the Clydesdales. Well, now, Kathy, tell us a little bit about the breeding through the years. You know, are we breeding for bigger horses now? I know that's go- that goes in cycles, too. The way people are breeding and what they're breeding for goes in cycles. Where are we at now with, with the Clydesdale breed? I think we're breeding very strongly. I think our members and breeders are very deliberate about with the way they're breeding. They're very, they keep the old fashioned, have, you know, a heavier boned horse in mind as they try to maybe modernize it a little bit. Our Clydesdales have became very athletic. They're very versatile. So we're kind of, uh, we haven't forgotten our past and the way that we have traditionally bred for a big foot and nice bone in a Clydesdale horse. Um, I think the modern-day Clydesdale is a little more upheaded and a little um, leggier, but we still have kept the tradition of that big foot, nice bone, and, and interceded some athletic abilities so that our hitches are 
are getting better and better, and our breeding animals are doing the same, Glenn. Are they looking, are, are there, is there really two different, and I don't know the answer to this, so that's why I'm asking, is there really two different types of breeding going on, one for the show ring and then breeders who are breeding not for the show ring, or is it all kind of the same? Is that a dumb question? I, I think the, you know, it's kind <laughs> of all, everybody has something different they like. Everybody has a different use for the Clydesdale horse. They're very versatile. I mean, some people just want uh, one in their pasture and they want to be able to have it in the barn to pet. And, you know, um, I call it horse therapy. Yeah, like, some like people that's want me to do right a there. A little bit of showing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because they, they are a very giving, loving animal. For some people, that's enough. Um, we're all we're all concerned about confirmation so our horses stay sound and in good health. Some people just want to promote and go to parades, and some people want to be high up in the show ring. Um, some people want to just do trail riding. So I think we've broadened our scope because of the versatility and the personality of this breed. So everybody's just um, focusing on what they desire in their breeding program. Gotcha. And I think one thing that's really exciting that the Clydesdale Association does, the Clydesdale has a standalone sale every year in April, and it is the only breed that does an event like this that just promotes their breed exclusively. The Clydesdale sale is, um, the last few years has been held in St. Louis. The good folks at at Budweiser are a great supporter for it, um, help us promote it. But like I said, it's the only breed out there that does a sale that doesn't involve a multitude of different types and kinds of horses. It's dedicated all mm-hmm. uh, all to the Clydesdales, and Kathy has worked years and years on this, and it, it's developed into mm-hmm. more than just a sale. It's kind of like a reunion for families, I would say. Wouldn't you, Kathy? I would. We, we are, Our new promo title is It's Not Just a Sale, It's an Event. And it is. Many times people call the office and they want to get involved, and they always say, you must come to the national sale. It's a public auction, so they think that's a little scary. And I said, don't shy away from it, because we do it to promote our industry. So we usually catalog over 100 head of Clydesdale horses. You can come there and see many bloodlines and maybe decide what you're looking for. We also have vendors that provide tack and equipment. We have free educational seminars to get people the help they need to be educated at industry. So it's our um, annual meeting for the Clydesdale Breeders. It's more than just a sale. It's an exclusive event to make it easy for new people to come in and get involved. Well, before we run out of time, I want, you know, one of the things that all the associate breed associations and all of the discipline associations have to deal with, and we talk about it a lot here on the show, is getting young people involved because, you know, there are less and less. There have been less and less across the board in the horse world. And you guys started and are now doing the Youth Novice Congress. And what is this, a second year? This is the second year, Glenn. We started last year. It was only Clydesdale breeders sponsored it. It was only Clydesdale horses and youth and novice. It's youth and novice together. We found it a huge responsibility to start to educate. I mean, I'm, I'm a third-generation Clydesdale breeder. I know things from my past, but many people who get into this don't know the things that we just automatically have been taught. Our young people are very enthusiastic, and we they deserve a future in this as well as novice. 
So this was the second year the Pertrin Horse Association of America helped co-sponsor and the Shire Association was on board. Um, as an industry, we had almost 60 youth and novice oh, wow. exhibitors and almost, and almost 60 horses. We doubled the show from last year. Um, they came, we had two days of seminars. We had just industry leaders come and donate their time to do presentations on, you know, foot care, uh, feeding, grooming, showing, hitching, harnessing. And then everybody got a chance to, you know, show in the halter and the hitches. So it's just a wonderful, wonderful event. I got to tell you, I'm going to thank you on behalf of the horse world. And, and that is exciting to have that many because, again, we've had this conversation with associations all over the world, and this is the thing they're concentrating on the most. Some associations are having a serious problem with, with no kids coming in. So the fact that you have some and you're really promoting that and working, that's our future. I mean, so Clydesdale Association is not going to be around unless those kids uh, lead the way and take the, re- take the reins, literally, uh, in the future, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Kathy, talking about the future, you have some exciting dates to share with us about an upcoming world show. Uh, We do. Our world show happens every four years. We've bumped up the game. We're going to do it every and in three years here, we've had two world shows in the past at the um, Alliant Energy Center in Madison, Wisconsin. And in 2018, we're bringing our, our World Clydesdale Show back to Madison, Wisconsin, their new state-of-the-art facility. It'll be October 24th to the 28th in 2018. I'm so charged up and excited. Every world show we've had gets bigger and better. It gets more worldly. Um, we have a, a horse here at this show from that's imported from Germany. I've already had calls for the 2018 show that will actually have horses from out of the country. So I expect it to be a big, big event. Lisa, we're going to have to do this show live from the World uh, Clydesdale we, we Show. Will, <laughs> we will be there live. <laughs> and Kathy and I go way back. Absolutely. When, in, in 1999, they held the first modern-day World Clydesdale Show. It was held in Carp, Ontario. And there had been a lot of hype and talk about it, but we didn't know how it was going to turn out. And Kathy, Betty, and I flew up from Chicago, flew up there. And when we got off the plane and, and saw the crowds, it was still to this day one of the biggest crowds I've ever been in front of. And I mean to tell you, we we were just awestruck on how many horses were there. And then the Clydesdale Breeders of the U.S. got the ball rolling to bring it to the States. And as Kathy said, each year it grows. Each time we have a world show, it grows. We had it um, in 2015. It was Canada's turn to host it. It was held in London, Ontario. They put on a phenomenal show, gave us some new ideas. Um, Kathy and the staff got working right away. And like she said, we bumped the game up. Instead of waiting four years, we're going to have the next world show in 2018, three years later. And I tell you now, our exhibitors are excited already about it. They, they're looking at foals now that are going to be in the age classes and foals today that will be able to be driven there. So it is a driving force for Clydesdales right now to be gearing up, even though it's three years away, two years away. It gives them something to build towards. So it's, it's going to be an amazing show. And and I have no doubt that the Clydesdale breeders will just knock it out of the park again. 
Kathy, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for being a sponsor of this Draft Horse episode, which I've been working on trying to hopefully getting done over the last nine years, and I'm excited that we're here with the help of Lynn. And, and you guys, where can, where can we find the Clydesdale Breeders? What's the website? The website is www.clydesdalesusa.com. Or you can phone the office if you'd like to visit about opportunities of our industry at 815-247-8780. Thank you, Kathy. ClydesUSA.com. I will see you Thank in the washroom. We're so excited to be a part. <laughs> and you guys will see each other later on today. <laughs> we will. <laughs> All right. We're going to hear from one of our terrific sponsors. And then you did an interview uh, with a guy named Wes. You, you got this interview there. And tell us who Wes is. Well, Wes Gordeco is uh, one of the more dominant names, the Gordeco name, in our draft horse industry for the Clydesdales. And he was a judge that I worked with a couple days ago in Minnesota, and he's actually going to be joining us as a judge at the Wisconsin State Fair as well. So I thought he is rich in Clydesdale history, and he, he's just a great gentleman to talk to. And he's kind of shy and quiet, but once we get him talking about Clydesdales, it just rolls on. All right, good. Well, let's hear from uh, Ship Shawana, Harness and Supplies, and we'll, we'll talk to Wes. And then coming up a little bit later, we have another guest. Paul Sparrow is the last man to drive the famous 40-horse hitch. We're going to chat with him about how the, that all came about and uh, exactly how long are those reins and how many are there. We'll get into all of that a little bit later. Shipshawana Harness and Supplies in the heart of draft horse country in Shipshawana, Indiana is your source for everything draft horse. Their large inventory of in-house crafted harness, halters, and show bridles, showtime blankets, sweats, wagons, and carts, horse care products, and even shoeing supplies will fill the needs of the heavy horse hobbyist, the horse farmer, the heavy horse exhibitor, and the horse pulling competitor. You can find them online at ShipshawanaHarness.com, as well as on Facebook at Shipshawana Harness. Or you can give them a call at 260-768-7254. Just ask for Bob. Shipshawana Harness and Supplies, your source for everything draft horse. Today we're talking with Wes Gordeco. Wes is joining us from Ohatton, Alberta, Canada. He is a novice showman in the Clydesdale industry. He and his family showcase and promote and breed Clydesdale horses. They're one of the largest breeders in North America. And I've had a chance to work with Wes in the last couple weeks. Number one, as an exhibitor. We were both up at the Calgary Stampede, and I got to see Wes and his family in action showcasing not only halter horses, but hitch horses as well. And now, most recently... He was an official judge at the Scott County Fair, one of the largest county fairs for draft horse competition. And today we're going to talk just a little bit about the differences, what it takes when you're looking to get into the show arena as an exhibitor and when you're already in the arena as the judge. So, Wes, nice to have you with us today. Uh, like I said, we saw you in Calgary. You and your family seem to be a staple fixture at the Calgary Stampede. How many years have you been a participant there? Yeah, I believe uh, it's 45-plus years now, so since uh, my dad started going, and yeah. And now you have a new generation, your daughter Hattie, just a year old, joining you as part of your crew, and I can see that she easily has 
everyone wrapped around her finger, and she's going to be a, a real dominating force when it comes to youth showmanship. So, as I said, we're trying to just kind of di- differentiate about being an exhibitor. I think you're in a total different mindset. When you are getting your hitch ready and you're heading to the arena, what's one of the main things on your mind? No, exactly. Uh, you know, I guess uh, it's like a sport, you know, like compete is the the main thing on your mind really and uh, you know you want everything to go smooth like winning isn't everything but uh, you want to do as good as good as you can and uh, and compete with uh, anyone you know so uh, that's kind of the main thing just to make sure you have uh, all your ducks in a row and uh, hope everything uh, goes as you think it will and like I said your family shows halter and hitch if you had to pick one or the other what would be your favorite getting horses ready for halter or going in the hitch arena yeah that's kind of a tough one really like uh, you know we've done both for so many years and uh, you know I enjoy halter like um, I do Um, I enjoy the hitch as well but uh, so I don't know if I could really say uh, I like one better than the other but uh, you know well, I have to smile about that because you have been a dominating force in both hitching and halter. Um, at the World Show in 2011, you happened to have a certain champion there. Right. Yeah, no, we had uh, had the honor of having uh, champion mare there. And, uh, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, one of the highlights of uh, of our career so far, really. So. And also in the hitching arena, uh, you had some accolades with the mare six-horse hitch. Right, yeah, that was back in 2007. It uh, seems like it's getting to be a long time ago already, but yeah, we were, uh, you know, we were crowned uh, world champion six uh, with the mare hitch there. So, uh, you know, that was pretty cool too. And and sometimes, you know, you you wonder how you do it really. And uh, but I think it's it comes down to mindset. And uh, you know, we farm as well. And uh, there's a lot of things happening there. But uh, you know. I think one thing that's kind of exciting in in something like your wins is that you are a family operation. So many of our hitches today are becoming a more professional level where they have professional trainers, professional drivers. But when it comes to going into the show arena, it's your family. Yeah, no, that's true. And uh, and that's what uh, it gets hard sometimes, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, these real professionals, it's it's going to be hard to compete and uh you know, you think uh, you won't even have a chance, but, uh, you know, sometimes if you just, like I say, if you keep your mindset and uh, and just really want to do it and uh, work hard, sure. uh, you never know what happens, right? Sure. And so today, you and I are just finishing up a show together, uh, one of the largest draft horse competitions, an outdoor show in Minnesota where we saw on... Saturday, 19 six-horse hitches in the arena, and then today they brought in the eight-horse hitches, and there was 13 of them. That is almost unprecedented in our industry. Uh, you were the official judge, so tell me, the horsepower that you saw today, I'm, I'm assuming that's a competitive level that sets a new bar. Yeah, no doubt, exactly, and, uh, you know, I'm totally honored to be asked to judge the show, first of all, um, but just to... Uh, you know, see different hitches, and you you know you can learn something every time you're at an event, right? And uh, yeah, like it's just the competition, and uh, you know the way these guys bring horses out. It's uh, it's pretty neat to see. 
It is. And and one of the main things that we're asked is, what is the judge always looking for? And as an announcer, I try to describe some of the things, but I'm going to say that one of your big things, especially in a, a show of this caliber, would be performance on how well, whether it's a single horse or an eight horse hitch, on how well those horses are working together. Yeah, I know for sure. And, uh, you know, I even heard you say, like, how much that I look for, uh, you know, when they're standing in line looking for confirmation and stuff and that's that's still a pretty big part for me too and you know that's kind of getting back to the the halter and the hitch like i still like to i still like to see some uh you know some pretty uh very or like to see some nice uh, confirmation horses uh, you know being driven right and uh, you know of course performance is uh, the main part of it but uh, i still appreciate some uh, some good horses that uh, that are being driven right all right and coming down to the states from canada i assume that you're seeing a different group of horses let's just say that this show we're at here there's probably a lot of faces in the arena that that you weren't familiar with so getting to see different horses and different owners kind of brings it full circle for you as well yeah i know that's for sure like you know of course there's uh the draft horse industry is uh you know a fairly small circle industry but uh yeah there's definitely some here that uh that i'm not familiar with and uh yeah it's always uh you know it's always good to see some some different outfits right well, and it is the heat and the the time for all of the draft horse shows to start really coming together. And we're all going to be leaving Minnesota and heading some different directions. But you and I are going to meet up again in just a week or so in Wisconsin. You're going to be a judge at the Wisconsin State Fair where I'll be. And, and hopefully we'll see some new hitches and we'll get a chance to talk with you again. And we appreciate you so much. And again, we'd like to thank Wes Gordeco joining us from Ohatton, Alberta, Canada, talking to us about being in the show arena as an exhibitor and a judge well thank you for putting that together lisa you are listening to horses in the morning and we are doing the special draft horse episode presented by draft horse journal i'm here with lisa graham and horses in the morning is here five days a week we start at 9 a.m each day my normal co-host monday wednesday and friday been doing it for almost 1400 episodes six years now is jamie jennings she's an inventor out of arizona and we have a good time it's the only live drive morning race radio show for the horse world. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have special co-hosts that come in once a month. We do the, well, like the Certified Horsemanship Association does a show. We do a show on horse husbands. Yes, all about horse husbands. No wives allowed. (laughs) Uh, And then we do a show on rodeo. We have training. We do all different kinds of shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And one of those now, the first Thursday of every month, is going to be draft horses. So uh, we're we're excited about that going forward. Now, a lot of people have heard of the famous 40-horse hitch, and we've, we've all seen pictures of it. Those of us that have been around a little longer than others may have actually seen the pictures right when they happened, and uh, then, then you know, it, it really hasn't been around, or we haven't seen it lately, and that's why we want to talk about it as a little bit of a historical segment here on the show. We have Paul Sparrow on, who was the last man to drive the famous 40-horse hitch, and uh, we're going to find out how that all ha- uh, came to be and a little bit about his father. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Thank you so much. Good for- morning, Paul. <laughs> Hi, Lisa. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Now, you know, we're going back in time a little bit. Uh, your dad was the one that really created that famous 40-horse hitch back in the 70s, right? Correct. In 1972, he drove it uh, for the first time since uh, uh, 1904, so quite and, a few years in between. And it was the Barnum & Bailey Circus that did it in the early 1900s in 1904, right? Yep, they were the last uh, last circus to put it on on the street. And you know, it's interesting yeah. when you go to the Ringling Brothers Museum down in Sarasota, Florida, you realize that they could very easily put a forty horse hitch together because they used hundreds of horses as transportation back then to move the circus around. Correct, uh, and it was it was a great way for them to utilize those horses for their. Basically, their advertisement mode, um, they didn't have print like we do today. TV and radio wasn't there, and they had the parade, and that would draw more people to the parade, and they would follow the people or the parade to the circus for the performance. Right. Very cool. So what what made your dad want to do this? What was his name, by the way? Dick. Okay. So El- Elmer, Elmer was his real name, but everybody called him Dick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So why did he want to do this? What 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 got him started with it? Well, um, give a little history back to the circus parade was started in uh, Milwaukee in about 1960, and we didn't go until 62, I believe. And Dad went with a 12 horse hitch because he could kind of pay his expenses a little bit better by driving 12 than driving a 6 or an 8. He got a little bit more money. And uh, over the years, uh, there was starting to be a little banter back and forth between him and um, Jabby Fox, who was the uh, director of the museum and and the big mover on uh, the Circus World Museum in in, uh, Baraboo, Wisconsin. And uh, Dick, would you drive a 40? Well, Dad thought about it. He says, if if you've got the money, I've got the time. Well, that went on for <laughs> several years, and finally they decided they wanted to do it. And uh, so preceding driving the 40, the year preceding that, we drove 16. And then, uh, then the real work came when we started to put the 40 together and figure out actually how to do it. Now, were they all your horses? No, we used, uh, a lot of the horses were our horses, but uh, we did have friends that we would use least horses from them. So it didn't have to maintain quite as many all year long. Were they all one breed or were they all a mixture? They were uh, all Belgians. Okay. Um, just due to the fact that that's the breed that we had and uh, the availability at that that time, there were a lot more Belgians than there were any other draft breed. Right. Right. And now, and now, ultimately, people that got to see the 40-horse hitch in action only saw a very small part of it because the hard work came at home. And I remember hearing stories and seeing pictures of what you would call practice day at home. So kind of run us through what practice day was like because to get 40 horses ready, you had to have a tremendous crew. Not only did you have horsemen that were working with the horses, but I know the ladies always played a big role on practice day because 
They prepared the meals. They made made sure that your uniforms that you were going to wear. Tell us a little bit about practice day. Well, uh, practice day would actually started long before we hooked the 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would um, start driving the horses in four breasts, and they had four breasts is four wide. And we developed how each individual horse, uh, how they drove, what their mentality was, and we tried to figure out what position they would go into. And as we went along, um, we would stepped it up to driving 12 and 16 and 20. So we figured out what a wheel team was, horses that could handle that big wagon, and the lead team that would just go anywhere you wanted to drive them. Uh, they would they would walk right over a car if they had to. They just had to have that go ahead. I'm not afraid of it. Did they ever? I got to know. Did they ever walk over a car by accident? Just saying. No, they bumped into a few of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the challenges, one of the challenges I I know Dick would always talk about was, and here I am in Milwaukee now, and I see how narrow the roads are and the turns and the corners, but there was many times when he would turn a corner with the 40-horse hitch that the lead horses weren't even in his sight. Oh, definitely. Uh, there were some, you know, buildings would block our vision, and uh, you had to count on those outriders. We had people on saddle horses that rode alongside the hitch. They would, uh, one, they were a safety factor, and two, they could untangle a line that maybe got over a hame, see a horse that had stepped over a trace, uh, so we could get that fixed so they didn't rub their leg. Um, there were several times that you had to trust that man that was out there in the lead telling you, yes, you can go. No, you can't. And, um, uh, even, even though that, uh, lead outrider was 110, 20 feet away from you, you could just look at each mm-hmm. other and, and communicate just in, in, uh, glances and little gestures, uh, to, uh, keep it safe and, and, and successful. Okay, I have to know, and I'm a driver, so I have to know this. A couple of questions, technical questions, is how long were the reins and how many did you have in your hands? How did that work? How did the whole reining thing work? Well, uh, the lead lines, uh, the lead team was 110 feet away from us. Whoa! Uh, (laughs) That's a third of a football field. That's a long way. Oh, yeah. Yes. And then you add the wagon on, which is another 25 feet. So you could be 135 feet long very easily. And uh, the lines had to be over length uh, from the lead team. And progressively, as they came back from different teams, they would be shorter. But we had five lines in each hand. We started out trying to do it with lines on every team. And it was just too many in our hands to have a good Well, that would be 10 lines, right, in, in each hand. If right. It, yeah. So Ooh. we we moved it back uh, as as we we didn't we just had to reinvent the wheel. It was already invented uh, about how to hook the horses, how the lines were on them, how the harness was made. Um, we had a few grainy pictures. There was nothing written written down that really helped us. Um, we would experiment with it as we were working our way up to the to driving the forty, and. 
we had a lot of great horsemen that had worked big teams in the fields. My great uncle, my grandfather, well, two great uncles, my grandfather, uh, just lots of people that actually had worked horses in the field yet. Um, and that really helped give us a lot of people with knowledge that uh, helped everybody would interject their thoughts and ideas and we'd glean through all that and, and, and developed how the harness should be on them, how the lines should be on them, um, and how to, how, to, how to drive it. So, uh, so if you have five reins in each hand, uh, I assume then you're controlling two sets of four with each of those reins? Actually, we only had um, uh, each set of lines. That would be two. There would be okay. two lines on the wheel team. Okay. And, and they, they were numbered number one. And the team on the end of the tongue, that would be number two. And then we would skip two teams with uh, no lines on them. Figuring they they're following bad, along anyway. They're going to go where the others go. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, horses do have a what they call herd instinct. Right. You know, when one goes somewhere, they all go. Right. So, uh, but they were led and, and, and held back um, in those spots where we didn't have lines on horses. Gotcha. So we had lines on one, two, five, eight, and ten. Team, wow. Lead team being number ten. And, and, uh, and so the, and the man really, that sat really, next, well, the man that sat next to you on the seat, he had an important job too because he not only on the circus wagon was working the brakes and, and helping with the people on the wagon, but he kept those lines straight. Right, the driver has the lines laced through his fingers. But that co-rider helps to keep them straight and organized so that you can feed in and out, taking line in and taking line out. So there was usually one, two, or three men on the seat with you, correct? Uh, we, the brakeman just handled the brake. Mm-hmm. And then the we would have an assistant driver. You just can't stand there or sit there for two hours and hold those lines yeah. and not... Uh, yeah, they just they just get heavy just holding them without the horses pulling on you. So another person would sit next to you that was your was an assistant driver, and they would drive during the straightaways, the easy the easy drive, which is not easy. But then someone would sit behind us that could straighten our lines because they would bring them back behind us so they didn't get tangled in our feet. When we turned a corner, we would have to shorten the hitch so that it had the flexibility to go around the corner. We, we were in uh, Arcola, Illinois, and they had streets that were so narrow that a <laughs> semi could not drive around them. They had to back up and wiggle their way oh, to get around no. We could turn that corner. You know, it's mm-hmm. just a standard 32-foot-wide uh, street, and we could make the turn... Um, just squared off around the corner, but you had to shorten the hitch to give it the flexibility to do that. Hmm. If there was anybody that loved a challenge, it was Dick Sparrow. He would, he would find a way. So that's another thing. As if 40 horse driving wasn't enough, your dad overdid that one year. Tell us, tell us about the largest number that he did. Well, um, um, we were, our sponsor uh, was Old School Seed at that time. And 
they uh, wanted to set a record and get you more publicity, getting more bang for right. their advertising dollar, and that's what basically we were, our sponsorship was for their advertisement. And they wanted to do a 48 horse hitch. Um, <laughs> so that, that lengthens the hitch out another 22 feet. So we, we go from 110 to 132, so add the 25 for the wagon, it gets really long. Uh, we went to the Cotton Bowl Parade in Dallas, Texas, and I believe that was in 1976, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then we did it at the Iowa State Fair also that year. Wow. So okay. 40 wasn't enough. 48 set a record, and... You know, if there was ever a who's who of our draft horse world, your dad would have a chapter of his own. He he hitched these multiple teams, but he was also a mentor to so many people. Dick's philosophy was, if you want to drive a horse, find me, and I will get you on the seat with me. And I know that Dick and, and Paul has done the same thing with strangers traveling across the country. Strangers would come up and say, I've never driven a draft horse. And Dick would say, get on the seat. And he'd hand you the lines. And he was there to be your mentor and to help you. Um, Paul, the same thing. I know that you help a lot of the youngsters that you want to see in the show arena. And if they don't have a horse, you offer them one. So when we talk about the Sparrow family, it wasn't uh, something that you took lightly. Your mom and dad, Dick and Joy, did an amazing job at, at promoting Belgians. And, and putting the 40-horse hitch together back then was a challenge. Um, what are you thinking about the future of a 40 horse hitch, Paul? Are you up to trying to recreate that? Well, uh, if, if they've got the money, I've got the time. I think there was a song I, I, about I, that. I think if there's a sponsor out there listening, that was a throwdown right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have talked to, um, a lot of the people that helped me do it because dad did it for six years uh, in the seventies and then it was discontinued mm-hmm. and the circus parade in Baraboo, Wisconsin, our circus museum wanted us to recreate the 40 again. And I started in 1989 doing it and I did it through 2002 and that was the last time the 40 was, was hitched. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, getting to the point I'm going to, the big important thing is the good people that help you, the people that have the right. knowledge. And um, they're still there, but we're all getting older. <laughs> well, we're but running my, out of... So much- my, you know, my kids, my yeah. children grew up with this, and, they, and they're game, too. If, if somebody wanted to, um, I've, got, uh, I've got three sons, and boy, they, they said, yeah, we'd help do it if... Uh, if it, it came about, they'd be right there. So, well, Paul, we hope we hope that happens. Genetic. I'm rooting for you. I'm hoping that a sponsor comes forward and you can get that done. That would be so cool to see again. We are running out of time here, and I thank you so much for joining us. You are a piece of draft horse history here in the United States. You and your family, uh, everybody in your family, are really uh, a piece of history. But I have to know because I always ask these questions. All of us drivers have had that moment where we're going, oh, geez, or the horse bolts, or we run over over a car, or, you know, whatever that moment is. Did you ever have that moment with driving the 40 horses? Yes. the the Probably the biggest 
thing. We were practicing at home before we went to Milwaukee. And we were we were done. We were just going to leave our practice area, drive into the barn and, and unhook. And one of the outriders got off their saddle horse to make an adjustment. The saddle horse kind of walked off. Well, he started, the, uh, the outrider started to walk after him. Well, the horse just kept just going a little faster in front of him. And then about three of the outriders decided they were going to go chase that saddle horse down. Oh, well, no. <laughs> as her, her instinct goes, the 40 went zoom. Oh, no. And uh, we, and we, we went, it was uh, uh, my brakeman, myself, and one outrider that were still in control. And we made a U-turn in 35 feet and <laughs> broke all kinds of harness. Oh, jeez. Went down through the ditch, and, uh, and uh, all the people in the wagon would get hurt and everything. Just had a little bit of skinned up, little hair off the horses, and a lot of broken harness. But we <laughs> we got her put back together, and and uh, we were we were at the parade. How'd you ever get them stopped? Um, you walk whoa. the brake. <laughs> well, that, that ain't going to stop forty horses, though. I don't care what. I don't care what kind of disc brakes you have on that thing. <laughs> mm, you know, you know what? You, you you feel a little inadequate when you got forty head of horses pulling you around, and, and they're they're not wanting to quit. No, <laughs> I can imagine one is enough. Uh, you know, one in that brake's not going to stop them if they're dedicated. So, <laughs> well, this is, I always know there's one of those stories. I love hearing those stories because we've all done it. We've all been that person. Been so, there, done that. Exactly. <laughs> Paul, thank you if so you much, Paul. If you drive long enough, you're going to have an issue. That's it's, true. It's like, true. Like driving a car. That's true. <laughs> well, thank you, Paul Sparrow. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you All right, see you in Iowa, Paul. All right. All right, take care. Thank you, Glenn. Well, we're going to hear about another one of our sponsors, and then we have a schedule coming up. But you know what? If Even if you aren't a draft horse person, there are draft horse shows all around you, and you should go out and see one. They are so cool. Unless you've stood beside a 19-hand draft horse, and seen how truly big that is, TV will never make you appreciate how big standing beside one of those 19-handers is. Jennifer, tell us about the Waverly Midwest Sale, a place where you can get a draft horse. Well, I would be happy to do that. The Waverly Midwest Horse Sale is the longest-running and largest public draft horse auction in existence, and its role in the heavy horses' revival these days cannot be argued. When it began back in 1948, it was the only venue of its kind, and today the Waverly Midwest Horse Sale remains the draft horse market to which all others are compared. It is held each spring and fall, and it's far more popular than an auction. It's a tradition for many, many families. Join us in the heart of horse country, and it happens October 4th through the 7th, and they auction off tack, horse-drawn equipment, horse collectibles and oddities, and over 700 head of horses, including some of the finest draft teams to be found in North America. And they have every size, style, and color. The Waverly Midwest Horse Sale even has draft crosses, mules, light driving teams, ponies, and miniatures. Consignments for the fall sale October 4th through the 7th will be accepted right up until sale time. But if you want to be included in the sale catalog, your consignment must be received by August 15th. And for more information, you can go to WaverlySales.com. You can find them on Facebook at Waverly Midwest Horse Sale. Or you can go old school and call them on the phone at 319 352 
I love horse auctions. That's where I bought my two Percherons, was at the Harrisburg sale. It was when they first started years ago. They first started doing the draft horse sale in February, January, February. And then uh, they had halflingers for, for a number of years in that sale, too. And they would sell hundreds of them. And, and that's where I picked up, picked up my first two. I can tell you one place I am not allowed to go would be the Waverly Sales, because Jennifer <laughs> well, will not do. allow me to go. <laughs> you can go to Waverly. And, and you can go, honestly, with your checkbook and a pickup truck. And from no. that, you can buy a trailer. You can buy the horses, the harness, clothing, um, the vehicles. I'm not kidding you. If you go to Waverly Midwest Horse Sale, they probably, if they have one wagon for sale, there will be 300 horse-drawn wagons. If you're looking for a plow, a disc, horse pulled, again, not just one or two, they might have 300 of them. Oh, that sounds like Play. so much fun. It is, it is truly the Disney World of the horse auctions. Oh, I love horse auctions. And it makes, <laughs> it's the happiest place on earth. I love horse <laughs> auctions, which is why I will not be allowed to go. That's just <laughs> We have a schedule of things coming up. Of course, you're at the Wisconsin State Fair. It's a Belgian and Perseron show in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's through the weekend, right? Well, Right now, we're all Clydesdales. Okay. You know, they always say Wisconsin is home to cows, but right now, the Clydesdales are rocking it through Saturday. Okay. And then early next week, um, we turn it over to the Belgians, the Shires, and the Percherons. Oh, so cool. I believe we're going to have about 12 six-horse hitches on their final showdown. For That's quite a few for a state fair, you know, because there are several fairs going on, and it kind of stretches the exhibitor's thin. So um, next week... I think there's 12 this week with the Clydes and 12 next week with the other breeds coming in to Wisconsin. And that's in Milwaukee. Um, you can find us. We're on 84th Street, Wisconsin State Fair. I would say one of my favorites. Um, the crowds are tremendous. They cheer. They applaud. They support the first place. They support the last place. They just they just love having the horses here. It's clean. It's family inviting. Um, a great place to be. I, I'd be 400 pounds if I did your circuit because I'd be eating funnel cakes yeah. at every stop. Then coming up is the Indiana State Fair Draft Tour Show, August 12th or 13th through the 21st. That's in Indianapolis, Indiana. That's a national Percheron show, a national Clydesdale show, and a national Belgian show. The Iowa State Fair is August 14th through the 21st. You're right, there's a lot going on next week. That's in Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa. That's the National Shire Show. The Minnesota State Fair Draft Tour Show is August 26th through the 29th in St. Paul, Minnesota. The Nebraska State Fair Draft Horse Show is August 26th through the 28th in Grand Island, Nebraska. And the Brit Draft Horse Show, September 2nd through the 4th in Brit, Iowa. So if you're in any of those areas and can get out to see it, definitely, if if you have never seen a Draft Horse Show, put it, put it on your bucket list. You're a horse person. You definitely need to do that. And then, of Absolutely. course, there's exciting news from the Clydesdale Breeders of the U.S like we mentioned they have committed to hosting the next world Clydesdale show two years from now in 2018 the world's Clydesdale show will be heading back to the Allegiant Energy Center in Madison Wisconsin with more than 800 horses and it's better than ever with the latest state-of-the-art facilities totaling 290,000 square feet of space replacing the nine former ag barns plenty of space for arenas brand new box stalls pre-function arenas vendor space and more 
Mark your calendars, set your goals, and make your plans. Further information is available on the Clydesdale Breeders website at Clydesusa.com. I, we got to go to that. I'm just, I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go to that. We're gonna do a show from there, and you're gonna get me into the celebrity driving again because uh, <laughs> I got to get Wendy to come. So I have revenge. I have revenge to do. Uh, so just saying. Well, Wendy was the winner. So, yeah. you know, you got to set your game up a little I bit. I do. I do. I apparently not as good as Wendy was. <laughs> so uh, now let's be fair. Wendy had driven four horse hitches and was shortlisted for the WEG. So, I mean, yeah, yeah there's that. I know, but they were, they were a big team of torturers and she, she had it all. She looked good. She was poised and. The women kind of rocked it, and there, she's I like would say. five foot one <laughs> up there with the Bertrands. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. yeah. Well, we we want you to subscribe to the Draft Horse Journal as well. Drafthorsejournal dot com is where you can find them. You can visit Lisa on Facebook, and where can where can they visit you? The Clydesdale store and more. Absolutely, on Facebook, and stay tuned. We'll be hitting a website um, where you can order online. But Clydesdale store and more. You can find me just about. All the shows we talked about, I'll be there. Just find me, and, and we'll get you hooked up with some great Clydesdale merchandise. Follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook as well. Just search for Horses in the Morning. We are here Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Most people, though, listen to us on the recorded version. You can find that at HorsesInTheMorning.com or on our app. Just search for Horse Radio Network on in the App Store, iPhone or Android. It's free. It's easy. It's so simple to listen to the shows. You can listen live or to the recorded. We have 10 different shows we do on the Horse Radio Network, so I'm sure you're going to find something there you like as well. Friday's tomorrow here on Horses in the Morning. We're doing Olympic coverage. Of course, uh, it starts tomorrow, so we're talking all things Olympics over the next couple of weeks. Also, my co-host is out at Monty Roberts Farm, and she's doing some training there. So she's there sharing those stories. And then Friday's the most popular thing we do on the Horse Radio Network. I'm telling you, it's the most popular. It's at 10 o'clock on Fridays, we do really bad ads, and that's where listeners submit really bad (laughs) Craigslist ads, and we make a little fun of them. So that's every Friday. We give prizes away. It's our most popular segment, so tune in tomorrow. We welcome any new listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we also want to thank our sponsors, the Clydesdale Breeders of the USA, Oklahoma State Fair, Shipshawana Harness and Supplies, the Clydesdale Store and more, and the Waverly Midwest Horse Sale. Yay, Lisa, you did it! Awesome. I am so honored to be a part of this. And, and I think Horses in the Morning is just a tremendous addition to our Gentle Giants family. And, and I'm honored to be your co-host, but I'm more excited for our, our industry to get exposure to all your listeners. Now all I need is a Percheron again. Oh, my wife heard that. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'll book your ticket to Waverly. Okay, thanks. <laughs> See you tomorrow, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.